Welcome to Triumphant's podcast with Pastor Perrin, preaching on the Word of God. First Kings chapter 17. I'll begin reading at verse number 17 and read down to the end of the chapter, which ends at verse number 24. From the English Standard Version, it reads this way. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged. And he laid on he laid him on his bed, and he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. Somebody say again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. <clears throat> this is the word of God for the people of God, and so we say thanks be to God. This morning, I want to title our sermon from this passage. I want to title it, The Power of Prayer. The Power of Prayer. I want you to imagine, if you can, <clears throat> how I must have felt earlier this week when I received the following text message from one of the brothers who is a member of our church. They sent me a short, simple phrase, but it was packed with so much power. He said in the text message, the power of prayer is usually underestimated. It was even more encouraging to me to receive that message after having received a text message from him earlier that day requesting that I pray for him about a situation he was facing. But within those few hours when receiving the first message where he asked me to pray and I having lifted up that concern, that request to God, God listened and he answered our prayer. How often do many of us face situations in life that we think God can do nothing about. And we underestimate the power of prayer. Well, this morning, all I really hope to get across to us this morning is just that simply stated line that the power of prayer is usually underestimated. That's, that's just all I... I want to get across to you this morning. If you don't remember anything else, remember me having said to you, 
vicariously through our brother in Christ that the power of prayer is usually underestimated. See, I believe that too often we underestimate the power of prayer when we don't realize what prayer can do. In the book of James chapter 5, I need somebody to um, put this on the screen for me that's in the, um, in the computer there. In the book of James chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, the B part of verse 16, it says, a uh, verse that you're very familiar with, you're familiar with it in the old King James Version where it says, the prayer of a righteous person availeth much. But in the English standard, actually the Christian standard Bible I'm reading from in this passage, it says that the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. It is very powerful. In the English standard version, it says that the prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. That verse alone should compel us to try praying. That if we pray, there is power in our prayers. And so I want to encourage us to further investigate the power of prayer so that we would try praying. James points us to consider as we consider the power of prayer, he points us to consider the life of the Old Testament prophet Elijah. Because after James says in verse 16 that the prayer of the righteous person is very powerful and in effect, in the very next verse, verse 17, I need this on the screen as well, James goes on to tell us about how Elijah, Elijah was a human being. He was a human being just as we are and Elijah prayed earnestly that it would not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. Then Elijah prayed again and the sky gave rain and the land produced its fruit. See what James is trying to get us to see here is how effective Elijah's prayer life was. But as he's doing that, he makes the appeal to us very clear upon this basis, that Elijah was a human being just like we are. He's saying that Elijah didn't have anything that we don't have as humans. Elijah didn't have access to anything that we don't have access to. Elijah didn't have some extraordinary power that made him any different than we are. No, he's saying Elijah was a man who simply prayed, and God listened to his prayer. And so through Elijah's prayer life, we are to be encouraged, we are to be inspired, and we are to be pushed to try praying ourselves as Elijah did. And so this is what we hope to do and seek and endeavor to do over these next few weeks. Just as we looked at the life of John the Baptist as he prepared the way for Jesus, and Jesus even said that John the Baptist was the Elijah who was to come, we will now take a look at Elijah's life in the Old Testament. But we're not going to look at all of his life, but we're going to be focusing and narrowing in on his prayer life and how through Elijah's prayers, a boy was raised from the dead. 
fire fell down from heaven and rain came in from the sea simply because Elijah prayed. And I want you to remember that as we look at Elijah's prayer life, as we look at the encounters that he has in prayer, they are to spur us to pray because we are to remember that Elijah was not superhuman. He did not have anything that we don't have access to. He was human just like we are. Priscilla Shira says it this way. She says, none of the biblical heroes were intended to be an exception. They were all meant to be examples to us of what happens when an ordinary life intersects with an extraordinary God. And so it is my hope to get us praying, to keep us praying, because there is so much to be gained when we pray. I shudder because many of us never experience the benefits of prayer because many of us never actually try praying. And we end up settling for powerless lives because we have prayerless lives. Sometimes, often, we don't try praying because we don't think we're holy enough for God to hear our prayers. But this morning, even if that is you, even if you think you're not holy enough, holy enough, I want to let you know that you are ordinary enough. And just as Elijah was ordinary, so you and I are ordinary people. Like you and I, Elijah faced challenges, challenges that revealed he had insecurities like you and I do. Elijah he got discouraged just like you and I do. Elijah, he was even prone to depression. Elijah faced disappointments just like you and I do. He was human. He was ordinary just like us. But although Elijah wasn't unordinary, we can know that he did have unshakable confidence in the power of God. It seems that this helps us to understand why Elijah had such confidence in praying. He had confidence in praying because he had unshakable faith in his God. Get this, y'all. Elijah's name literally means my God is Yahweh. And actually, that's the first thing that we learn about him when Elijah breaks into the biblical text. Elijah abruptly shows up in the biblical text in chapter 17, verse number one, almost completely out of nowhere. It says in chapter 17, verse one, now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him. Elijah abruptly shows up in this text out of nowhere. 
He is not introduced with a lot of fanfare. We aren't even told much about him. We don't know who his parents are. We don't know what his pedigree is. We don't know if he's married, if he has children. We aren't even given his resume to let us know he's qualified for the job. Besides his name, the only thing we know about Elijah is where he's from. And that even isn't much because where he's from is not even on the map anymore. They literally, the scholars cannot pinpoint where this place was, Tishbe in Gilead. They don't even know where it is. It's not even on the map anymore. Elijah comes to us in this text completely out of obscurity, almost literally and metaphorically. He's introduced to us and shows up abruptly in the text. And our first introduction to him is by his name. And again, his name that literally means my God is Yahweh. Yahweh, that name God gives himself that is so sacred and it is so holy that the Hebrews would not even write it out fully. They would leave out the vowels when they wrote the name Yahweh. And that's the first thing we learn about Elijah, that his name means my God is Yahweh. And so although we don't know much about Elijah, at the same time, his name tells us all we need to know about Elijah. Because perhaps all we needed to know about Elijah is that his parents had named him my God is Yahweh. And that now Elijah was living out the declaration his parents had placed over his life. This is in my notes, is not in my notes, but I do need to pause and sell some parent. Parent, you need to, before you have that child, you need to consider what you name that child. And even after they're born, you need to consider what you say over their life. What you declare over their life, because what we see in Elijah is that when he comes to us in the biblical text, he is living out his name. My God is Yahweh. And so when he drops into the text in chapter 17, verse 1, there's no mention of him before. We see that he is talking to a king named Ahab. And there in the presence of that earthly king, Elijah is boldly proclaiming that the living God, the God of Israel, is the one who Elijah takes his stand for. Elijah is saying, I don't stand for any other king except for the king of kings, the God of Israel, the one who is a living God. Y'all stand and bow down to your bells, your dead gods, your dead idols, but I only stand for the living God. And he is before the king saying this, but it is in that confidence of the living God that Elijah knows that God is able to do the impossible. And so Elijah boldly speaks truth to power as a prophet does. And he tells King Ahab some disturbing news, but it was the truth that there was about to be a drought in the land. But he boldly speaks that because my God is Yahweh. 
And so it is out of obscurity that Elijah rises up. And even though Elijah arrives in the text rather abruptly and seemingly out of nowhere, we need to know that Elijah could not have been an overnight success. Or if he was, it had to have been one very long night. See, we know that he didn't gain this confidence in God overnight. While he was out in obscurity in the hills and the fields of Gilead, Elijah must have been cultivating his relationship with God to bring him to have such confidence that he could tell the king the truth and he could speak truth to power and say that God is about to bring a drought on this land. You have to have some confidence in God to go to the governing officials of the land and speak truth to power. But it was in the hills and the fields of Gilead that Elijah was cultivating this relationship with God. And therefore, everything Elijah had been through up to that point, God had used to shape Elijah, to mold Elijah, and to prepare Elijah for what was to come next. And y'all, that's why we must treasure and cherish the cultivating of our relationship with God, even in the mundane, obscure, nowhere places of our lives that people cannot see. When no one knows our name and when we're still unheard of, we must know that even in those moments, God knows our names and God hears our cries. And we must know that no matter where God has us in life, even if it's in obscurity, that even there, God is preparing us for something that he wants to do through us. God's not wasting One experience, God is using every trial, every difficulty, every moment of frustration, every disappointment, every time that you spend studying and trusting his word, God is using it to prepare you. And he's preparing you even in obscurity. Even when nobody else can see you studying and reading and praying and trusting God, God is using those moments to prepare you. And just know that God is using every seemingly obscure moment and he is fashioning it into a moment of preparation. He is trying to form you into who he has called you to be. Many of us, we want to rush into prominence. We want to rush into the spotlight. We want to rush into our purpose and our destiny but don't rush out of obscurity before God finishes working and preparing you for what he has in store for you. Have thine way, Lord. Have thine way. For thou art the potter and I am the clay. Would you mold me and would you make me after thy will while I am waiting? I am yielded and still. Listen, I know you want your name to be known. I know you want to have more Instagram followers. I know you want to be on the stage. But know that in the obscure moments, God is preparing you. God is preparing you. So as we approach what happens in our text this morning with this woman's son, As the son dies, 
And Elijah is then able to pray for him, and the son comes back to life. As we approach this text, if you're wondering why Elijah responds by praying for this woman's son when he dies, it's because something, that is something that Elijah must have been nurturing for a long time. Elijah, this wasn't his first time around the block. This wasn't his first time praying. He had unshakable confidence and faith in what God could do because he had seen God work in his life in the obscure moments even before this one. And do know, note that what occurs in our passage with this woman's son dying is very disappointing and it is tragic. It's tragic because it comes on the heels of Elijah having just performed a miracle for this widow. In the verses prior to it, verses 8 through 16, we see that Elijah has an encounter with this woman, and when he encounters this woman, he asks her to make him a cake, and she says, I only have a handful of flour and a little bit of oil in the jar. But he says, go make me a cake, and you will never run out. There's famine all around. There's no more water in order to produce any more harvest. And and Elijah says, just be obedient to what I'm telling you to do. And so she obeys the, the prophet. And she makes the prophet a cake. And as a result of her little bit of oil and handful of flour that she gets together to make him a cake, that little bit of oil and that handful of flour never runs out. It's a miracle. God made provision to save this woman's life and her son. And then not too much longer later, her son dies. They were already facing death. And then Elijah performs a miracle so that they are now provided with sustenance so that they will not die. And then a few days later, her son dies. That was incredibly disappointing and tragic. It's no wonder why she's so passionate. And she says in verse number 18, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. She understands that she's thinking in her mind, I know that I'm not perfect. I haven't gotten it right. And so now you're going to make my son die because of that? And so many of us in that situation, we would, have, we would have sulked. We would have complained. We would have put our head down and asking God, God, why would you do something so devastating after such a great demonstration of power? Why would you allow this son to die? I think many of us would have given up and thrown our hands up in bewilderment and asking God why. God, why would you perform this miracle and turn around and let this boy die? And that's what we often do. We underestimate the power of prayer. We wonder why God does the things he does, and we want to know what God is up to. But sometimes we don't have to give answers. All we have to do is give God prayers. Sometimes when people are asking us why, we don't have to give them answers We don't have answers to give them, but we do have prayers that we can offer. And that's why I love how Elijah responds. Elijah 
after she says in verse number 18, you have come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. Elijah doesn't give her an answer. He says to her, give me your son. He doesn't answer her question. He takes her problem from her and he takes it to the Lord in prayer. I love how he doesn't, he doesn't respond to her. He takes her problem, he takes it, and then he takes that problem to God in prayer. If you allow me, I like to say it this way. When God doesn't allow us into the control room of life to see what he's up to behind all the switches and so we can know why he's doing what he's doing, he does grant us access to the throne room of life to make our requests known to him. And see, sometimes when we don't have access to the control room, we need to remember that we can get to the throne room. We have access to the throne room of God. Because of what Jesus did for us on Calvary, Hebrews tells us since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, we can then with confidence draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Somebody watching and listening today, you're in a situation and you can't figure out for the life of you what God is up to, why God is doing what he's doing, why God is not intervening in your circumstance. And you're not understanding why he's allowed the situation to happen. But even though you don't have access to the control room of life, you need to take advantage of your access to the throne room of life. See, when we don't go to the throne room, we're underestimating the privilege of prayer. Don't underestimate what a privilege it is to take everything to God in prayer. We could never get access to that throne room by ourselves, but Christ, if we place our faith in him, he grants us access to that throne room that we can receive mercy and help in our time of need. And so don't underestimate what a privilege it is to take everything to God in prayer. We need to remember that it is a privilege that we get to beseech the very presence of the one who was the originator of everything. The one who called everything into being. We get to come to his throne. Y'all, we get to go to God in prayer. Whatever the problem that we're facing, we get to trouble God with whatever is troubling us. That's why Peter said, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. See, that's, that's the privilege of prayer. Don't you underestimate the privilege of prayer. But I want us to see a very important application in what Elijah does too. Because I want you to listen to again to what Elijah does. He says in verse number 19, give me your son. Then he takes that limp son from her arms. He carries him upstairs. He lays the boy on his bed. He cries out 
to the Lord, pleading with the Lord. And then he stretches himself out on the boy three times in desperation. And then it tells us that he cries out to the Lord a second time. And then the boy is revived. Then Elijah takes the boy. He goes back down the steps. And he delivers the son back to the mother. And he says, see, your son lives. Y'all, he starts out by saying, give me your son. And he comes back and says, see, your son lives. See, all too often, we're only concerned with taking our own tragedies to God. But what I believe that God is saying to us this morning in this text, that it's time we say to somebody else, give me your problem. Give me your disappointment. Give me what you're dealing with. Give me your dead situation. Give me your difficulty and let me take it to God in prayer for you. So that when I bring it back to you, it comes back to you revived and alive. See, it is a privilege to take not only my problems to God in prayer, but it is a privilege to take everything to him in prayer. And we need to be spending time taking someone else's dead situation to God on their behalf and not just our dead situation to God on our behalf. What situation do you need to take to God in prayer for somebody else? Whose difficulty do you need to grab hold of and take it to God in prayer for them? Whose marriage do you need to take to God in prayer for them? Whose child do you need to lay out before the Lord in prayer? Whose finances do you need to take up in prayer? Whose tragic situation do you need to take to your secret place? And lay it before the Lord, pleading with the Lord to revive it. See, it could be that God uses you to pray for somebody else's situation so that you can now turn around. They can turn around and say, now I know that you are a man, a woman of God. Now I know that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. See, God might be using you to bring somebody else to Christ to know that what you've been saying about Jesus is true because you have grabbed hold of their problem and you've said, I'm going to take this to God in prayer and you'll be able to bring it back to them revived and full of life again. As I was studying this week and this application point stuck out to me from the text, I immediately was prompted to text the three guys on my list that I'm praying would become Christians. I hope you know what I'm talking about. Last week, I gave you this 50-day prayer journey to Pentecost guide. And in it, it, it asked us to list three people that we want to become Christian, that we're going to pray would become Christians. And, and every day since Sunday, I've been praying for these three men. But this week, as I was Studying this application point came out to me. I was prompted by the Holy Spirit to send those three guys texts and ask them, what can I pray for them about? 
See, here's the thing. I've been praying that God would change their hearts and turn them to Jesus. And I was trying to figure out how can I get into a conversation with them that perhaps I can tell them about Jesus. And God reminded me, begin with prayer. Listen, the people that you're praying would come to Christ. Ask them, what is the problem that's troubling them? And say, can I, can I grab hold of that and take that to the Lord in prayer for you? God might use you to be able to bring that problem back to them. And that situation is turned completely around. Pray that God hears your prayer for the welfare of someone else whose faith isn't as far along as yours. And if you're saying, God won't even answer my prayer for my own situation, why am I going to pray for somebody else's situation? Know that just because God hasn't turned your situation around yet, it doesn't mean God won't answer your prayer for somebody else's situation. Because what we need to know is that Elijah prays for this woman's son who is dead while Elijah is on the run for his life. Elijah is literally on the run for, from King Ahab because King Ahab is so upset at the truth, the prophecy that he told, and there is a famine in the land. And Ahab has been looking all around for Elijah. And in the midst of that situation, God has not turned Elijah's situation around yet, but Elijah lifts this prayer up for this woman, and God answers Elijah's prayer for this woman, even though God had not turned his situation around yet. See, although God has to turn your situation around, he is still providing you, providing for you right in the middle of that situation. He is still protecting you in the middle of that situation. He's still keeping your mind in the middle of that situation. And so we should never underestimate the privilege of prayer, but we also should never underestimate how God listens to our prayers. Y'all, we have a direct line to God. And the text lets us know that God gives us his listening ear when we pray to him. Please see and hear that the text says that God responded to Elijah the way that he did. God responded not because of what Elijah did. God responded because of what Elijah said. Verse number 21, he says, Oh, Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And verse number 22 says, and the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he was revived. See, God revived the child because the Lord listened to Elijah. Don't forget Elijah was ordinary just like me and you. He was a human just like me and you. But here we see God doing something so incredibly gracious. He listens to Elijah's voice. As Dale Ralph Davis puts it, prayer is God's appointed means of grace for our difficulties. And through prayer, we are able to get God to give us his listening ear. Don't underestimate how significant it is that God grants us his listening ear. It is a privilege that God would listen to us. 
But don't ever underestimate also what God can do through the power of prayer. Don't underestimate what God can do when we pray. See, when we pray, when we take even what seems impossible to God, the seemingly impossible is even possible when it comes to our God. Y'all, Elijah takes a dead boy to God in prayer. You have to know that resurrection miracles in the Bible, there's only a handful of them. They don't occur, occur all the time. There's not one in every book of the Bible. There's just a handful of them. And it lets us know that even in this situation, that God can do the impossible. That means that it is evidence that not even death's grip is beyond the pull of God's power. Remember that there is nothing our God cannot do. Remember that God can do the impossible. And so we are to take everything to God in prayer. Even that impossible situation, you can take to God in prayer, confidently knowing that if God can raise this little dead boy from the dead, even if the power of death cannot hold its grip on this dead boy, that surely he can turn this dead situation around. And not only do we see that God brought this son back to life, but we can have hope in praying because we know that God brought his son back to life. It lets us know that there is no problem too big that God cannot solve. There is no mountain too tall that he cannot move. There is no storm too dark that God cannot calm it. There is no sorrow too deep that he cannot soothe it. Take everything to God in prayer. Because we should never underestimate what God can do when we pray. As I close, I want you to imagine, what if Elijah hadn't prayed? What if Elijah, disappointed that God allowed this little boy to die right after he had performed this great miracle, he had said, I'm done with this stuff. What if Elijah had said, I'm not holy enough. I'm not powerful enough. God, I'm tired. I'm already on the run. My situation is already bad enough. What if Elijah had decided not to pray? He would never have known what God could do. I want to encourage somebody out there. You need to try praying because you don't know what God might do. And I believe if you try praying, you too will know the power of prayer. Because I've seen him move mountains. And I believe he will do it again. I've seen him made a way, make a way out of no way. And I believe I'll see him do it again. This morning as I was putting the finished touching on our sermon, I was saying, God, I need, I, need, I need something to close with. I haven't had any illustrations in this sermon. And I never get over here to the sanctuary early. <laughs> And this morning, I was able to get over here in the sanctuary early, and Sister LaShawn was leading worship, as you all know, and 
The last time she led worship for us, she told us to keep her in prayer because her husband was about to be deployed to Kuwait and he would be gone for a whole year. And so we prayed for her and this morning I checked in with her to see how things were going and she said she prayed before he left that he wouldn't have to go, that his troops would have to go, but that he wouldn't have to go. And she said that when he left, she wondered if God heard her prayer. Oh, when she said that this morning, I said, oh, yeah, that's going to preach right there. Because here's the good part. She said that when I asked her about her husband, she said, hubby is back home now. I said, what? She said he was gone for only three weeks. Because of a paper glitch, he got back home, and he does not have to stay there a year. Because God heard her prayer. What if she decided not to lift that up to God in prayer? See, that's the power of prayer. And here's what I encourage somebody this morning. If God can do it for her, surely he can do it for you. Because we serve a God that does the impossible. In fact, there is nothing that our God cannot do. As we journey towards Pentecost, I want you to use these days to try praying. Don't just take your problems to God. Take somebody else's problem to God. Perhaps if God isn't turning your situation around yet, he's still providing and protecting you and still keeping you in the midst of it. But he'll he'll let you pray for somebody else's problem so that you can bring their problem back to, to them and they are able to say, oh, yeah, you really are who you said you are. Your God really is who he said he is. And they, too can know the power of prayer. Thank you for listening. If you would like to know more about Triumphant Church, visit us at thetriumphantchurch.org or you can contact us at 301-559-2200.